This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. This sermon is from our series on the first letter of John called Life in God's Love. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to be here together. We uh, offer up this time. We offer up our ears, our hearts, our minds to hear your word. And we just give you praise for your spirit and the spirit's presence here today. Your name I pray. Amen. Today's scripture passage is from 1 John chapter 3. We're beginning with verse 11 and reading through verse 24. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers, and you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children, Let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this, we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts. He knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God and we receive from him whatever we ask because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. All who obey his commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this, we know that he abides in us, by the spirit that he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you're new here, um, my name is Jeff, and uh, we've been actually here at TICF running two different sermon series at the same time. Pastor Bart has been doing an extensive, exhaustive uh, work through the Old Testament book by book, and then another team of us have been working through the book of 1 John. And the way I kind of envisioned it this week is that with, with Pastor Bart, you get these, these sermons from the top of of a mountain, giving these vistas and these beautiful views. And with, with us, we're down in the forest, poking at the dirt with a stick, seeing what we can find, right? Maybe that's just how it felt to me this week. I don't know. But God is good. He's got a good message for us today. A friend of, us, a friend of ours was living with us, and he asked me just before we left, how are you feeling about today's message? And I said, well, it's about loving people, and that's hard. And nobody likes to be told to love people they don't want to love. So that's what we're at today. We're going in with that. So enjoy. So we are in the middle of 1 John. And at this actual point in the book, there's a transition 
that takes place. Actually, before this, if you've been here or if you're familiar with the book, before this, John has spent a lot of time talking about the people that are causing problems in this church, the Antichrist, the people that are are giving false teachings, the people that are just stirring up trouble. And at this point, he actually kind of leaves that behind. Now, he always had his message of love, his message of hope, and all of these things and kind of sprinkled in there. But here's actually where he transitions to focusing on the health of the people of his community. And he, it's interesting because if you look at, um, at the, the Gospel of John that he also wrote, there's a period right in the middle where Jesus in the first half of the book is talking about the Jews as the ones who are after him, attacking him, um, trying to bring him down. But at this certain point in the middle of the Gospel of John, he also transitions to focusing more on the lives, the spiritual lives, and the, the people that are around him. So this is a kind of a literary tool. And it's subtle, but it is something that I wanted to just point out there. So he's, he's getting into this point of, of talking more encouragement and more healing and health of his people. And in this, this book, he's writing to a church that has just been torn apart by false teachings, by infighting, by all of this stuff. And he is getting ready to really hit his key theological point. So in the second half, he's focusing more on the community, less on the attacks from the outside of the community. And so let's take a look at what, what this passage that I just read holds. He starts this section with a reminder that the message is, that he's giving now is the same message that we've heard from the very beginning. Love one another. It's a good message. It's short, sticks in the head, easy to take home, right? John likes to be that way. But he then shifts into this kind of a story that everybody in his congregation, in his church, would know. This story uh, that many of you probably know, probably have heard. Um, Anybody who's a father or mother of boys uh, knows this story quite well. It's the story of Cain and Abel. And Abel was the firstborn. Cain was the secondborn. One of them went into uh, growing crops. The other one went into raising animals. And it came time for them to give God thanks for what they had received from, from these professions. And Cain gave his offering of some of his crops. Yeah, some of the stuff that he had grown. And then Abel had chosen some of the finest of his firstborn lambs to offer to God. And God, of course, loved Abel's offering of these perfect firstborn lambs. He rejected Cain's offering of the crops that he had raised. And in an instant, anger, hatred, jealousy wells up in Cain's heart. And he murders his brother. And then, of course, God shows up, says what happened, and he ends up like banishing Cain, cutting him off from God, cutting him off from his family, and leaving him kind of a homeless wanderer. Now, John just tells a little bit about that because he just kind of presumes everybody in his church knows the whole story. But, but he does really focus it on this murder part. He talks a lot about not just the physical act of murder, but holding hatred in your heart towards someone also being considered murder. So he summarizes it, tells us the murder was birthed out of the fact that his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. He throws a warning out to those in his church that when you do righteous things, people will hate you. 
pretty blunt, pretty straightforward. Things could happen against you because you're doing righteous things. And then John goes on to contrast these two sides, lightness, darkness. On one side, anger, jealousy, murder. On the other side, there's love. On one side, there's hate. On the other side, there's love. On the one side, there's jealousy. On the other side, there's love. But if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. Okay? So there's those who embody God's love. They're living in the light. There are likewise those who are not embodying God's love that are living in lawlessness and darkness like Cain. John moves on. He reminds us of how we can recognize real love. The example that John himself witnessed, look to the ultimate example of love, Jesus. He showed his love for us and that he gave up his life. He died for us. And if we take his example, showing that love to others means laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters. It also, John notes, means showing compassion to those in need, saying if anybody has something and they see somebody who doesn't have anything, then you have to show love by giving things to them. So say love, and and then he says, he continues by, by putting a little extra thing at the end that says, oh, by the way, we're not talking about words. We're not talking about the spirit of love. We're talking about actions, talking about the showing, the doing doing the physical thing, that without that action, it's pretty empty. Okay, then John takes a little trip through the topic of guilt. The translation I read didn't really label it as guilt, but it just talks about the guilt that sometimes in our hearts kind of drags us down, feeling like we can't uh, live up to whatever it is that we're supposed to be doing in loving our neighbor. And just reminding you that God has the power to take away that guilt, take away that shame, He is sovereign over all of it. So it's okay. He can take it away. Finally, John gets to this very helpful part that we'll look at in just a little bit. But he gets to the how portion. How can we love that way? The way he's talking about. And I'm like super glad he puts this part in because I have to tell you, as I said before, loving people is hard sometimes. Have you tried it? It can be tough. I have to tell you, I mean, some people, like my wife, my kids, pretty easy to love most of the time. But, and I'm kidding, all the time, I love them. But, and I'm not going to mention any names, but some people can be pretty hard to love. And some people in the church can be pretty hard to love. And that's kind of what John's talking about here. So that's just talking about the people in the church, the people that we're supposed to be in community with. That's not even getting into those enemies, those people that... You feel kind of, you have a right to not love, like they don't deserve it. Those people out there, we'll get into all that. But first, I want to get into this love thing a little bit deeper. John seems to be setting this up as kind of a godly kind of love, as the center point of his theology. I had the privilege last week, two weeks ago, to travel down to Armenia for some meetings. I knew this was going to happen. It was it's my favorite part of the year. I got to meet with one of my former preaching professors, and he's now like one of the leaders of our, our organization, and, and, he, and, he, and he preaches every year, and it's, he's, he's really good at it. I think he learned a lot from having me as a student. <laughs> but he was talking about this godly kind of love in a, in a way that I hadn't really thought of it before. So when John wants to talk about love, he contrasts it with the Cain and Abel story, the anger and the hatred and the murder. But for us to look at this godly kind of love, I want us to actually go back further. 
not just to creation, but actually like before that. And this is what, what my friend and professor talked about. He said, the God that we believe in is not some soul, lonesome, single deity out there that's just creating things for amusement. It's our understanding that, as a matter of fact, John even writes at the beginning of his gospel that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And all throughout the creation story, there's plural language. Let's make man in our image. So, there's this God being, there's the Word, or as we know, Jesus Christ, the Son, and there is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that even in the beginning of creation, we, we read about hovering over the darkness and the emptiness and the waters, okay? So, there's these three beings. And what's beautiful about that is that there's never any indication that these three beings are vying for control. They're not fighting for who's going to create all the beetles, not the band, the actual bugs. Who's going to do all this stuff and who's going to do all that stuff? They abide together. They are one. And, and in the midst of that abiding, in the midst of that creating together, is this godly kind of love that can't be experienced if you're a soul alone deity that just is just making things for amusement. And so, we move a little bit further. We move to the creation, and uh, the creation is taking place. So, there was light, there was dark, it was good. There were heavens, and there were earth, and it was good. There was water and dry land, and it was good. Day, night, it was good. Sun, moon, it was good. Fish, birds, humans, all of it, it was good. But finally, after all was created, he looked at his creation and found one problem. What was it? Yeah, the being that he created in his own image was alone. It had no one to fulfill this godly kind of love with. I mean, you get close to that with a dog, trust me, much farther with cats. I'm allergic to cats, so they got to stay away far. Okay, but, but until he was able to take from the man's flesh and make another being. Were they really able to fulfill what they were created to do? To have that godly kind of love with someone else. And so it became this three, this, this triune love between God, man, and woman. And so from the very beginning, we are created to love one another. But then, of course, John's story comes in. A little bit before that, Adam and Eve mess up. They bring sin into the world, and then Cain murders, and it just kind of spirals into, you know, the whole story of the whole world being corrupt except for the one man Noah. And it's just, you kind of see this snowball of anger, jealousy, lawlessness, and darkness that comes into our world. And it spoils the thing that we were created to do. We were created to be instruments of God's love to each other. Not just to say that we love each other, but to show it, to live it, to pour it out to all of those that we meet, and yes, even to die for it. John says in verse 16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for brothers and sisters. 
When I first got the call into ministry, it was a very vague call. It's kind of weird. I was sitting in a very loud honky-tonk bar. If you don't know what a honky-tonk bar is, I'm sorry, they're quite amusing. But I was there one night, and I, I audibly heard a voice say, I want you to go to seminary. And I was pretty sure it wasn't any of the cowboys that were sitting around me that said that. So after a few nights of that, I called my dad. My dad's I've been a pastor for 40-plus years, and I was torn. I was confused. And I said, Dad, I think I'm, thank God's telling me to go to seminary. And <laughs> this was my dad's response. You better be sure, otherwise they're going to kill you. <laughs> Speaking about the church. <laughs> it's my dad, the realist and the encourager. So long story short, I went to seminary. I went through all the classes. I just kind of expected to have the same kind of life and ministry that my dad had pastoring small churches in the middle part of America, preaching on the weekends, cleaning the church during the week, fixing the church during the week, fixing people's cars and toilets and trying to fix lives, something like that. But then one day, God tricked me, I kid you not, He tricked me, into going on a missions trip to Brazil. Is Bruno in here? He's downstairs. Okay. I was, I was offered a summer missions trip to Brazil. And I was pretty stupid not to realize that it was winter in Brazil. <laughs> but I thought sandy beaches, I thought sunshine, I thought, ah, this is just what I need. I'm ready to go. And so by the time I had gotten all the paperwork filled out and all the stuff ready to go, they said, oh, no, we're going to send you to China. <laughs> and all I could think about was tanks and red flags and communism and all that stuff that I grew up on. But he tricked me. And prepared me. And the day that I left for China, my dad drove me to the airport. I should have learned, but my dad drove me to the airport. And he, he stood there and he looked at me and he said, Jeff, I know this is what you're called to do. And I'm very proud of you, but I'm never coming to visit you. <laughs> I said, okay. We both kind of thought this was maybe a one year, two year thing, get it out of my blood and I'm moving back to the States. I'll be fine. And we laughed kind of awkwardly. And then he just got real serious, and he took a deep breath, and he said, I know this is what you're supposed to do, but I'm just afraid you're going to love those Chinese people too much. I'm afraid you're going to go, and you're going to die for them one day. <laughs> like I said, a real encourager. Let's leave it on a high note, huh? I laughed, and I, I said, isn't that the point? I mean, that's the one thing I learned in seminary right there. That's it. And I guess how to preach from that guy. And he kind of he got a whimsical look on his face and said, yeah, well, I, I guess it is. And I got on the plane. I spent 16 years in China. I never had a chance to lay down my life for my brothers or sisters in China. It's a couple close calls with traffic and these really fast electric bikes that you never hear coming. And, uh, but mostly, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't ever get put in that situation. Eventually, my dad did visit. He did even end up loving some of those Chinese people and understanding our call a lot better. But laying down your life for your brothers and sisters is a tough commandment, but it is in here, so we better learn how to do it. Before we get to the how, though, let me just say something here. John, in this letter, he is, as I've said, addressing a church that he oversees, and most of his language in this passage 
is talking about loving each other in the church, in the community. And I know, as I watched my dad pastor all those years, I know there can be communities that don't love one another. And I got to admit, they're not a very appealing thing to non-believers. So I understand what he's saying. If we want to make a difference in the world, we have to be united in love with our brothers and sisters. But I, this week, I couldn't get away from the fact that Jesus, you know, even expanded this idea outside the walls of the church. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners love who love them. But then Jesus went on, love your enemies, do good to them, be merciful, just as your Father in heaven is merciful. So this is where I'm going to admit I get hung up. I get that attitude of the lawyer that asked Jesus exactly who is my neighbor so I can find the loophole, right? So I can find the way around loving this person. I keep pointing to you. Sorry, Conrad. Loving this person that I don't like very much. No. In my two short years here in Georgia, I've been in close relationship with a lot of people that have been greatly hurt by those around them. We have friends from Ukraine. We work with kids on the weekends from Ukraine. Have been through the senseless war, the destruction, the loss of homes and friends, the scattering of families. It always pretty heavy on my heart. My friends from Iran who have had to leave their families, their countries often being physically beaten in that process, losing contact with their families because of the protests that have been taking place there this last year and the internet being shut down. I've had friends from Russia who either have left or are living in fear of going to prison because they won't participate in a war they don't believe in. I mean, we could sit here and go on and on. I worked with a group of Afghani refugees who had to flee their country, a 24-hour bus ride with 17 security stops with guys with guns. They never knew they were going to get past the next one, only to land here for a year, and then now they're in Canada trying to, trying to find a home, and it's just not going well. So much trauma, so much pain, and on, a, on the other side of all that trauma and all that pain are these people that make decisions that cause the pain. And if I'm not mistaken, these are also people Jesus is calling us to love. And I don't know how to do that very well. I get angry on behalf of other people. I've got a lot of this just empathy stuff in my body that just, uh, I want to go fight for people that are being hurt. But that's that's not what they're telling us in the Bible, telling us to love. Shortly after we moved here, about a year ago, I guess, we met some friends, uh, lived next door to us, and during one of the warmer spells of the spring last year, we were up here at Lisey Lake walking around, and my Georgian friend was telling me the history of Georgia. He's one of those guys that walks up to you and introduces himself and then lets you know pretty early on just how much he hates Russians, and he reminds you of it often. And as we were walking around the lake, he was telling me all the reasons why. And then he stopped and he looked at me. Right there on the side of the lake, he stopped and looked at me and said, Jeff, do you hate Russians too? Seemed like it was a test question to determine my allegiance to my friend and my host host nation. And I, I literally held my breath for a moment to search for an answer. I finally told my friend that, you know what? I try really hard not to hate anyone. I told him that I, fortunately or unfortunately, had lived a life of favor. I mean... My country tries to build in me a fear and a hatred 
of, well, it was Russia in the 70s and 80s, anyone Islamic in the 90s, 2000s, a host of others. My country's never really been treated the way Georgia, Ukraine, some of the countries around here have been treated. I really don't know what that kind of pain, that kind of loss, that kind of hatred feels like. I have a lot of empathy. I understand just a tiny little amount of some of the stuff that these folks are carrying, but I've never experienced it firsthand. So I told him, I said, no, I don't. I don't hate the Russians because God is teaching me every day how to love those who are hard to love. And there was a long, silent pause, and I was kind of expecting for him to throw me in the lake. He's a big, big man. Instead, he laughed and he said, oh, it's too heavy of a topic for such a sunny day. And then he asked me if I like (laughs) cha-cha. And to this day, whenever he talks to me about how much he hates Russians, he gives me a knowing smile and a shrug. My hope is that maybe God's teaching him a bit too, but it's hard to say. But I look at all the pain, all the suffering, and all those around me that I've been through. It weighs heavy. And then I have to get up here (laughs) and preach this message. And I feel a little hypocritical standing here telling you guys, you need to love the ones that have inflicted so much pain on you, on your friends, on your family. I just don't have my, I don't have the mind, have the capacity to wrap my head around it all, how to, to, to be honest. But fortunately, Jesus did. Fortunately, God does. And John has a few recommendations. So that brings us to the how part of John's message today. John jumps in to giving us a few keys to loving your brothers and sisters. He says a few things about surrendering our guilt to God. It may not be guilt. It may be a whole host of other emotions. But glory to God, he is sovereign over all of our emotions, all of our feelings, all of our positive and negative thoughts, he's, he can take that. If we come to him with this freedom from the, from the guilt, from the shame, from the anger, from the jealousy, he has the power to take that away. And then we can approach him, John says, with bold confidence. And we will receive whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. So whatever is proving to be a barrier to love, guilt, anger, pain, trauma, whatever it is, Remember that God is more powerful than any of it. He has the power to free you from it, to clear your heart of the suffering and the pain of the sin that has been sitting there for so long. He can free your heart and renew the soil of your heart so that the seed of God's love can be planted and thrive in there, that you may learn to grow in that godly kind of love. John then continues. He says, so here is his commandment, talking about Jesus. We must believe in the name of his son and love one another. Two things. One is an inside, believe. One is an outside, act. Believe in Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that today, it's a great first step towards learning how to get rid of all this stuff. And then love one another. The action, the doing. So we must believe in Jesus and be obedient to the things that pleases him. Jesus gave some pretty solid commandments during his ministry. He said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If you believe in Jesus, it's good. That's the place to begin. John also says you must obey his commands, not just in word, but in action. 
We can't just use the words of love. We must do the hard things, the hard tasks of showing that love, even if it means giving up your life for your brothers and sisters or even for your enemies. But how do you do that? Action is hard. Sometimes it's easy to say, oh, yeah, you know, I don't hold any ill will. I love that person. But what have you done to show it? Doing the actions is hard. Learning how to live out this godly kind of love is hard. But John has one last piece of good news that he finishes this section with. Because we aren't learning these things on our own. We have the Holy Spirit that can help us to understand and to move in this. In verse 24, John writes, Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with Him, and He with them. We're not just abiding with Him. He's abiding with us as well. And we will know how He lives in us because the Spirit He gave us lives in us. Do you know what that means? It means when the world hurts us, when all of the other hurts in the world get to be too much, when the anger flares, when that one really unlovable person continues to choose you as their target, the Spirit is right there with you, in you. And all you need to do is whisper a thought to the Holy Spirit, help me, teach me, take this pain away, use my mouth, use my hands, use my whole being as an instrument of the godly kind of love that I was created for. The Holy Spirit is with you, but all too often we get too comfortable with our pain, with our anger, sometimes with our wit. We'd rather raise swords than lower shields. But the Spirit is an amazing comforter and an amazing healer and an amazing teacher and an amazing guide. God gave us Jesus as an example of how to lay down our lives, the unlovable, but he gave us the Holy Spirit to help us perfect how to do it. Let's pray together. Father God, there are so many people, so many things that get in the way of us living out the kind of godly loving people you created us to be. Teach in us, move in us, make us a community that loves one another, but also takes that love outside these walls into a lost and hurting world and puts feet and hands and mouths and minds and bodies into action to show that godly kind of love to those who need it. We thank you for the example in your son. We thank you for your spirit that can help us learn how to do it. Be with us today. In your name I pray, amen. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.